0: For more information, visit multrimobile.com.
1: All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is another host of one of the podcasts on Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network, and I'm super excited for this one. His name is Parker McDonald, and he is the host of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. Now, he's got this Southern thing figured out. I, I don't have a whole lot of experience hunting in the South. And it's very intriguing to me aside from the weather, really. Um, But I'm in the Midwest still. I'm in Missouri, center of the country. And I was born and raised in Wisconsin, where I learned to hunt. But the tactics and strategies for hunting the South are, they can be totally different. And he has found a really cool outside the box way of getting after deer on public land. Now, from everything I understand, hunting the South, it's heavily pressured unless you have a lease somewhere and even then it can be but trying to go after animals bucks or does on public land is quite a feat and Parker uses a nice little trick called water access. So we're going to jump into his setup, find out how he targets certain areas for chasing after deer. I'm really pumped about it. Let's jump in.
2: Like he was doing things that were just badass.
1: That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, so I am constantly getting asked about the gear that I'm using, and the great news is that I've got it all listed out on Go Wild. Now, if you listen carefully, I'm going to tell you how you can get a $10 gift card to use toward picking up some new gear. Go Wild is a free social community Where your photos aren't censored, they're actually encouraged. So much so that Go Wild will give you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. Now, as you earn those points, you can unlock awesome rewards like gift cards and free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Also, check this out if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. So go visit downloadgowild.com. To get started all right guys welcome to today's show and joining me on the show today is parker McDonald. And parker is from southern ground hunting he's got all the social media pages youtube channels podcasts you name it we're going to dive into what southern hunting looks like because i'm from the north i mean i'm completely opposite end of the country uh now i'm a little bit closer but parker welcome to the show i'm pumped to talk man
2: Absolutely, I'm jacked up. This is my favorite thing to do. I, I host a podcast, but I would, I would choose being a guest on a podcast every day before hosting one because you can say what you want and it doesn't matter nearly as much. The host has to recover what you said, so it's great.
1: Oh, absolutely, man! You can you can totally like tank their ratings to boost your own. It's <laughs> like whatever you need to do, do it. Absolutely. No, I'm. <sighs> I'm from Wisconsin originally, so I'm used to like big woods, uh, cold, cold weather. I mean, even, even for bow season, you're looking at 70 degrees tops and then you're dropping into into the negative sometimes during late archery season. But being in the South, it's a whole different ball game. I mean, you're dealing with different animals, different size animals, different hunting strategies. What has that been like for you? I mean, you grew up in the South, but now you've kind of transferred quite a bit east of where you grew up
2: yeah i mean like so last year i I went to north dakota and hunted the opener in north dakota it was so amazing like i didn't realize what i'd been missing out on this all my life of what you're talking about like 40 degree mornings 60 degree days it's beautiful outside for the opening day you know it's great down here opener in october is like freaking mosquitoes um so uh also last year right before i went to north dakota i hunted the tennessee velvet hunt that they do every year in august yeah it's like three days that they open up where you can shoot a velvet buck most of it's private land but there is some public land that you can hunt and so i've done that the last three years and dude i'm talking about in august in the south it's just miserable like i can't when you get out of your truck you immediately start sweating humidity is like 800 percent it's 95 to 100 degrees outside you're just hoping for a rainstorm or something to like cool things off a little bit um but then i do the i do the opener in kentucky i've done it for a lot of years and it's just like that man you got ticks everywhere yeah you got uh hot weather mosquitoes the mosquitoes are i don't know what's worse the mosquitoes or the or the heat but it's just it's tough man and like um last year i killed a buck on christmas day in texas at my dad's property in texas it was 80 degrees on christmas day um like i was in there with short sleeves sweating not doing anything like just sitting in a blind in on his property i just sweat my nuts off man (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Dude. this buck happened to walk out i don't know we hunted a lot of days right there and we had way better conditions but that big buck just decided he wanted to walk out in the 80 degree christmas evening it was a uh, so that's what we deal with here you know like you guys got extreme cold and that has its own challenges but ours is going to be in the opposite end of the spectrum it's just hot
1: yeah i can't i can't do the heat man when like september 15th is opener here in missouri and even the basically the be, the beginning of season through middle of October is still pretty hot here.
2: Mm-hmm. And I'll
1: bring like an extra long sleeve shirt or something and hang it in the branches above my head just to give me shade. Um, because I just get hit hard in the evenings in my main stand or like the main um, fence row that I like to set up on early season. And there's nothing more miserable. Uh, yeah. We've got tons of mosquitoes, the no see those tiny little black bugs that bite you. And it's like, dude, how how does something so small hurt that bad? And I would I would take 20 below zero over sitting in a sunny 80 degree tree stand every day of the year.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd rather be cold than hot. Um yeah, you're in if you're in Missouri, it still gets pretty warm in oh, yeah. Missouri. It does get colder for sure, but I mean I've been, I've been up in Missouri. We used to, when I was a kid, we'd vacation in like Branson Springfield area. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it gets pretty, it's pretty warm. You still got to deal with a lot of the same, uh, Southern challenges in a lot of ways. I think that would be probably like the perfect place though to live. Cause you have kind of a, it's a nice balance of, of everything, you know, from what we have down here. I just like, to me, I love hunting in the South. I absolutely love it. It's my, if I could choose anywhere to hunt, it would probably be somewhere in the South. Cause I just like, I like certain aspects to it. Um, but one thing that I do not like is how flipping hot it can get during deer season. I just, I I remember when I was a kid growing up, we'd be dry. I'd I'd get physically mad. Like I'd be like upset because we'd be driving you know from Alabama to Texas or whatever visiting family we'd be driving there in you know 85 degree heat on Thanksgiving you know, it's just it's annoying man
1: I I tell my wife the only time we should ever see eight on the thermometer is after a seven or something lower than that and yeah. she's like no way like 85 90 degrees the sun's out, you can lay by the pool or go to the river or go to the beach. And I'm like, nah, like 70, mid seventies is good for me. Outdoor inside, like 68 degrees all the time. Um, But I'm, I'm getting more comfortable with it. I will say that it's been in the mid nineties here the past few days. And I feel like I can handle it. It used to be, I felt like a fish out of water. When I came down here that first summer, like mid-July, 110 degrees. Oh, gosh. I thought I was just going to die walking <laughs> into a building. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the hunting here, it's definitely different. But you're right. I mean, we get a good mix of seasons. We get, yeah, you do. We get, you know, 100 plus. It, it'll dip down into the negatives here every now and then, but not very often. Like a full week in the single digits or teens, that probably happens once a year during the winter. Yeah. But, um, so we do get that good mix. We just don't get snow. Like we get a lot of ice here and, Mm -hmm. and maybe a few inches throughout the year, but that's it. Uh, I know one of the big things that people know you for, or one of the big strategies that you use when it comes to hunting is water access. And that is something that's very intriguing to me because I grew up along the Mississippi river in Wisconsin. And like driving along that you could see all these tiny little channels through this boggy area. You couldn't tell how deep they were, but I'm like, dude, that looks like the big swamp donkeys that people talk about, the big mature bucks that hang out back where no human can walk to. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, man, it's just gotta be full of those back there. One, what did you, how did you discover water access hunting? And then two, how has it gone for you so far?
2: The, the discovery of it was kind of goofy. Actually, it was it was really random. And to make a longer story kind of shorter. Um, I kayak fished a lot. I've, I've always kayak fish. So I've had a kayak and uh, I bought this SUV for it. Uh, I bought the, a, an SUV from a truck and I bought this SUV and I needed a way to transport my kayak. So I decided to build this trailer. this like modified trailer for my kayak and ended up putting like a four-wheeler rack on it like you would put a deer in and i thought man that'd be cool to put a deer on my kayak trailer and i was like you know what that'd be pretty cool to try to like deer hunt using a kayak yeah. so i got on uh at the time it was on x is like when on x first started i went and bought it that day and i started looking at like all the different places that you could potentially get into with a boat or a kayak of some kind and i just started marking them and probably a week after that, that was during the summer, probably a week after that, I went on my first scouting trip and was blown away by the amount of deer sign that I was finding in these areas. I was like, man, this is cool. And I'd always been like a, a guy that would get on a hunting club uh, or a lease property. Yeah, I'd always done that. And that year, that, that week, I was like, I'm not even going to get on a hunt club this year. Like, I'm going to go full, like balls to the wall. I'm going to be doing all public land from water access, and uh, honestly, I had my standards or my my standards and my expectations still pretty low because typically in the place that I live, the the public land that we have to hunt is not. It's it's actually pretty well known for the size of deer that it has, but the density is very low. There's yeah. not a lot of deer, so I was like, if I can kill a deer doing this and paddle it out on a kayak. This is going to be the coolest thing ever. I don't even care what it is. Um, Fast forward to opening day, actually saw deer that day, which was a big deal for me um, to go into one spot on the opening day of archery season and see deer on this public piece. My first time doing this, I was like, that's cool. Ended up killing one, a doe a couple weeks later or actually a couple days later, I shot a doe and uh, couldn't find her and then finally killed one and then proceeded to have the best season I've ever had Um, ever like tagged out on bucks. I killed my three bucks. Um, Dang
1: three bucks.
2: Yeah. We get three bucks in Alabama.
1: That's awesome.
2: Uh, Yeah. The South is super liberal on our (laughs) bag limits most of the time. So I killed three bucks and like, A bunch of does <laughs> like i was just i was on a tear that first year and i was like man this is freaking cool man like I, I need to keep doing this so i started just hunting that way and it's 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 grown to where i'm at now um obviously i've learned a lot more from that time on how to target bigger deer how to the spots to hunt bigger deer whatever um i've kind of perfected the not Perfected but honed in the, the craft of water access, so my scouting process is uh down pretty much to a T. Like, I know how I'm going to scout different areas, and I, and I also know the spots in my home range that I hunt. I know that I know most of the spots that are yeah. accessible by water at this point. It's super rare that somebody's like, Hey, I've been looking at this. Have you ever been there? It's super rare that I say no because I've been to almost all these areas. And so, um, talking about the heat, like one of the things that I wanted to do really quickly was try to figure out a way to hunt and, and be successful and put very little, uh, stock into summer scouting. Cause yeah. it's just miserable out here trying to scout during the summertime. And so I will scout every once in a while, but I have a system down for that. Like I'm going to do very minimal like moving around scouting and mostly i'm going to be searching these the banks of the water uh, for tracks and if yeah. i know there's tracks there and i know there's a, a good amount of deer in an area once the deer season gets in here acorns start dropping different food sources start opening up then you can kind of key in on certain spots within that area um but, so that's how i summer scout most of the time from now on i'm also driving around perimeters of property because the reason i'm water accessing is because i want to get away from any chance that people are going to be hunting that area i want to get into unpressured deer territory and so a lot of times if you're using spartan forge or Onyx or whatever there might be a drive a small road that's drivable into a piece of property that you can't see on a map that doesn't show up so i'm driving every perimeter that i can possibly drive to around this property to make sure nobody can uh access it by foot yeah sometimes i do have a few spots that you can access by foot but it's just going to be a lot easier and a lot more doable if you do it by water because there's whether it might be a bluff a drop you know a cliff um maybe it's water a, a deeper creek a deep river something like that some type of barrier that's going to keep people out of the area that i'm hunting um So that's kind of my, that's my process in finding these areas. And so that's what I did that first year doing a lot, a lot. I I did more walking than what was probably necessary and like boots on the ground scouting that summer. Um, but I just like went all in on if I'm going to kill a deer this year, this is how I'm going to do it. And so I did everything I could possibly do to set myself up to be successful that season. And And it just kind of went from there it's been awesome. I love it. And now I do it in every state I go to.
1: That's that was going to be my next question is if you did, if you continue to take your kayak all over the place and do it, because I've, I've thought about doing it here, not necessarily kayak, but even with a boat. Um, and we kind of stumbled into the concept of it because we were scouting out new spots for duck hunting. And we ended up finding this awesome duck hole. I mean, it was just a perfect roost. Every time we would go back in there, we'd be kicking up birds. And so we started setting up back there. And I think it was one day, one of the guys shot a bird. It ended up landing on the other side of the cove on on dry ground. And so I was like, hey, I'll walk across. It was like belly button deep, probably. I had my waders on. Walk across the cove. And as soon as I get across, I mean, there is a freaking deer highway right along the bank of the lake. And I was like, oh, man. And I turn around. I'm like, hey, guys, I'm just going to go look around for a little bit. And I start walking. And I mean, this is in probably, well, duck season here typically opens up the week of Thanksgiving. So this is after the ruts happened. But there's still plenty of deer activity. And I start walking this path, and I can just see through the woods like rub after rub after rub after rub all the way down this. And I was like, dude, nobody comes back here. If you look at it, it's completely landlocked by private land, unless you access it from the water. And so I told my buddies, I'm like, dude, this year we're doing it. We're doing it. Never did. I end up falling back to what I'm comfortable with. What I know is on trail camera at the private land that I've got access to. And I need to do what you did where you're just like, hey, I'm going all in, not getting a lease. And I need to say that one of these years, like, hey, I'm not going to hunt this private land. I'm just going to go and do this water access because I know that there's a lot of deer activity up there. And this lake, it has so many fingers and coves and almost all of the lake is surrounded by public land. And then you get like a couple hundred yards away from the bank and it turns to private. So there's no access to it unless those farmers are coming back and hunting the private or the public that's right. connected to their private. So,
2: and that's, that's a, that's a pretty common thing. Um, but a lot of times what, what you'll find is the, the public land is going to be in those types of situations. So I find that everywhere in most States around big bodies of water, like public access lakes, there's going to be uh, a, a uh, sort what I'm looking for a buffer of public land around it. Yeah. Um, it might be core land in Alabama here. We have a thing called, uh, TVA land, or it might be a, a national forest or, a uh, a, a WMA
1: yeah. or
2: conservation area where you're at. Um, there's the, a lot of those type of properties. They're very available, um, in most States that you hunt, but, um, a lot of times those, those pieces of land around the water that butt up to the private land the private land is cleared out maybe burned uh they may have crops or whatever they they manage that but they can't manage the the public land area They yep. like it would be against the law for them to do a lot to it and so it'll be trash woods and a lot of times they don't hunt it because it's quote unquote trash trashier woods it's thicker um more grown up not taken care of not manicured but as many of us know, that's a lot of times what the deer like to live in. Yeah. Um, and the, the lack of pressure in those areas, it's, it's unreal. Like I, I live, I've, I've lived in Alabama for collective 12 years or so. And it's, uh, it's tough. Southern hunting is hard just as far as like seeing deer period. Right. Like it's just, I know, they say that the deer densities are higher here in Alabama than in a lot of states, maybe even higher than Missouri. I mean, it's up there on the list of yeah. states, but you have so many things, ridges, big ridges, um, thick cover, things like, there's a lot of places for a deer to live at. So it spreads out that density a little bit more or whatever. Um, but what I have found is when I, when I get away from pressure, when I find these good landlocked pieces, I, I mean, I see a bunch of deer. I, it is a rare thing for me to go. Let's say, I mean, it, it, I would say a good 85% of the time I'm hunting. I see a deer. Yeah. Um, if I'm hunting deer in the month of December our rut or I hunts in December, if I'm hunting pretty much any day in December, I'm going to see deer. It's just, I see a lot. So the factors that i have i mean and i could do that in i was doing that the first year when i didn't know as much about these places and hadn't refined my uh strategy and you know finding good the the, the good kill spots i was still seeing deer almost every sit and the factor that is in that is pressure right like that's the only thing that makes that spot different than the spot that's you know the main part of the the public public area the walk-in stuff you're not going to see it out here if you just walk to a spot that looks good on looks decent on a map there's a good chance you won't see a deer um on the national forest or the wma property around my home if you go somewhere around water i'm not going to say you're going to see a deer every time but you're going to see deer yeah they just they are drawn to that they love the water they like the water for a lot of different reasons the food sources that grow around it um like we've talked about already it's hot it's warm here the water present cools down the air quite a bit um you got a lot of thermal advantage from water that deer get uh persimmons like the 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 grasses and things that grow in the in the tree the type of trees and fruit that grow around water it's just better a lot of times for deer and so um, once you kind of figure that out, once I had that confidence going into these areas, um, man, like I didn't want to leave. I was totally okay with, with two o'clock, you know, getting up at two o'clock instead of four 30 or five that I was before. Like, I was fine with it. Like, okay, I'll get up at two. I'm going to see deer. Yeah. You know, that's a good motivator for me. It's like, am I going to see deer? Okay, then I'll go.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, if you look at civilization and really any type of animal species, it seems like they flourish and are a lot better off close to water. And I told my wife that. I'm like, look at look at the U.S. I mean, you go, you go near water and you're going to find... Or if you look at the population densities of the U.S., the whole coast is basically just lit up, lit up yeah. like a Christmas tree. And then it gets... To nothing and then you get around the mississippi and you can follow big cities along the mississippi river um but the the idea of getting in there i i like adventure so even just changing my entry from being in a vehicle the whole time to getting to kayak a little bit like that that seems worth it to me but then to hear about the lack of pressure back there you're seeing a lot of deer activity uh the one question i've got regarding that is you had mentioned scouting. Do you do any type of tree prep or is that all done on the spot when you show up for the first hunt? Cause you mentioned like cruising down a river or a Creek checking for where the tracks are. Are you getting out at that point and trying to find the right tree that you want to sit in or seeing where the cover is close to that? Or is that all done day of?
2: So, yeah, I, i kind of explained what I mean with my summer scouting. Um, because food sources change so drastically, once our season comes in, in October, a, uh, acorns are already on the ground. Um, persimmons have already started falling. They're on the ground. Um, your muscadines and things like that, they've already fallen. So they're gone. Um, and just a lot of things start happening in that October, November timeframe frame. That completely changes the pattern of the deer. And so if I were to go in, in July, if I were to go out right now and try to find the tree that I want to hunt, it would be 100% based on, uh, it'd be 100% based on vegetation and terrain. Um, because that's the only thing that's still going to be the same yeah. in that time frame when I can hunt it vegetation is iffy even on that because if it's already started leaves have already started to drop that stuff changes as well but um so most of the time if i'm going to scout a new area i'm just going to go and find the water right so i'm coming in by water so i've obviously found the water so let's say from a guy who is um not using a boat or not using water access if you're walking in i would still if you want to know if there's deer in an area I would find the water source um, for all the reasons I mentioned before the things that are growing there um, the browse that grows in those areas is going to be probably greener maybe a little bit better maybe preferred by the deer air is cooler and they're going to be bedding closer because of the thermal advantage Um, so if you find that I would just go straight there and if you find there's tracks everywhere well then you can start using your knowledge of what kind of terrain What type of vegetation do they like to hang out around? Um, What kind of edges am I looking for? Start putting those pieces together on a map. And because you know that, well, the deer are there, they're around there. Once it's time to hunt it, these spots should be where they're at. That's kind of where I'm going with that. So I'll float up, kayak, take a boat, whatever, to a cove. And if I want to know if there's deer there, I'll look around that cove. Those coves are a slough make a pretty good, uh, pinch point that funnels deer movement as well, especially this time of year. If you can find a long one, you know, find one that's a, you know, 300 yards, a quarter mile, something like that long, any deer that's coming across that area, they're going to have to, they're not going to swim across most of the time. They're going to walk around the point of that slough, And so you can look and see uh, there are a bunch of deer tracks in this point, if not, man, there's probably not a lot of deer in the area to begin with. Yeah. Um, or maybe they're concentrated in up the river in a different slough, you know. So find those things. That's so I barely ever get out of the boat, you know, and walk more than a hundred yards, couple hundred yards, just to confirm what I know. And so then what I'm doing is uh okay, let's say I found a spot that's got a bunch of tracks by the water. All right, I know there's deer here. October starts rolling around. I'm looking at my maps. Okay, I know there's deer there. okay, well, 300 yards up, there's a hard hard line of pines meeting some uh, thick hardwoods. okay, I know there's deer there. I know there's deer in the area. I know that from previous experiences, from the things that I just know about deer, I know that they're going to be using those type of hard edges. Maybe there's if I can find a, a hot feed tree that's dropping, or find some fresh buck sign or a community scrape or whatever um, that'll confirm uh, where I need to actually set up at. So I do a mixture of off season scouting and in season, like day of the hunt, scouting my way in, in new areas. Um, a lot of the spots I go to anymore, I know they're going to be good because I've been going there for a long time, but I almost always change the tree like i I rarely sit in the same tree even if i've I've got spots i've been hunting 10 years that every time i go in there i hunt a different tree nice it's just i don't know if i do that because because i maybe somewhere in my mind think that they know that i hunted out of that tree last time or i don't know i just always like yeah that tree looks a little bit better i hunt that are
1: are you looking at not only uh quantity of tracks but also what type of tracks you're seeing? I mean, are you looking specifically for mature buck tracks that might be three or four fingers wide, or are you just going in there? If there's a lot of tracks and assuming Uh, like, Hey, if there's this many deer, there's going to be a big buck somewhere.
2: I'm going in there with a, a bunch of assumptions. If I find, if I find a lot of tracks, um, that means that it's probably not been pressured nearly as much. Um, if i've done my homework beforehand knowing that it's landlocked and knowing that the only way to get there is a boat then i'm assuming that there's a big buck somewhere around and i'm going to try to find those things that i know big bucks are drawn to and once i get in the season i'm looking for the sign right like i'm looking for a big track like okay there's a big track that there, means there's a big buck i don't run trail cameras so i don't always know or don't ever know honestly i rarely shot a deer that was like i know him um I, that almost never happens to me but um if i can confirm that there's a big buck in the area with the track then that makes me makes me like it maybe have a little more confidence um in the area but i kind of believe that most of these unpressured spots if if me and maybe two other guys are using a boat and hunting them those bigger buck, there's going to be a big buck in just about every area. Yeah. You know what I mean? And by area, I mean like a chunk. I'm not talking about like, like a, you know, acre spot. But there's going to be a big buck somewhere close by. I just got to figure out what, where he's going, what he likes, um, scouting, looking for the sign, looking for the fresh sign during the rut. Honestly, most of the time during the rut, I'm going to the places early season that I knew had a lot of does. I don't really yep. care if it had a bunch of buck sign around it in October. Um, if I know that there's, every time I go in there, I see 15 does. I'm going to go sit there during the rut because they the bucks that weren't in that area early season are going to be around and it's proven itself time and time again for me.
1: All right, guys, I need to take a quick second to tell you about a product that I've been using for quite a while now. It's called bull elk beard oil. If you've spent any amount of time in the outdoors, whether it's on the mountain, in the marsh, or in the woods, you've felt the effects of the wind, the sun, and the cold on your face. What this product does, it helps you look better, feel more confident, and it helps your beard keep its moisture. Not to mention, it smells great. So now my wife can't complain as much after I come home from a long week of elk hunting. Now I need to tell you, I've gotten to know Brian the founder over the past couple months, and he is an awesome guy. Brian made sure that all of these oils are made out of clean products right here in the USA. He also loves to give back to the outdoor community, whether that's through fundraisers for public land acquisitions, or even helping donate money to cover the surgery cost of duck dogs. He's an amazing guy, and he makes an amazing product. So go check out bullelkbeardoil.com, and be sure to check out the subscription options so that you don't have to run out of your favorite facial hair product. Plus, you can use the code Nomadic and get 20% off your order. Well, and it makes sense because like those waterways are just natural travel corridors for the bucks to just cruise. And it's really easy on a waterway for a buck to just work along a creek bottom or a slough like you mentioned and check five, six, seven doe bedding areas. And so, yeah, just like you, I mean... We, we had a ton of does on our property for a while, and this last year, it was crazy. It was like a 180-degree turn from how many does we had to how many bucks we had. I was seeing bachelor groups of 10, 12, 15 bucks on trail camera, hmm. and I would hardly ever see does. And I'm like, what in the world happened? Well, the problem with that is come deer season, a lot of those bucks were gone, because the does weren't hanging out in there. And so I really don't know what it was um, there. There's one big factor that I think it could be playing into it. There's a, a guy that got on the property somehow. I didn't catch him on any of my trail cameras, but I found his trail camera and a giant pile of corn. It looked like he dumped three full bags of <laughs> corn out and I'm like, dude, I don't know where this guy came from from, but if he carried three bags of corn, like he has to be close. And that's the only thing I could think of. He kind of went into this spot that we deemed the deer sanctuary. We don't enter it. Um, and the only reason I went back there is because some guys had had logged a trail out of or logged some mature timber out. And they're like, oh, yeah, is that your corn pile back there? And I was like, my heart dropped. <laughs> I wasn't like, no, 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 no. Sure enough, yeah, he was back there. Um, but, yeah, the playing the doe groups is a huge part of it because especially in the rut, i i think one of the big things i'm curious about now is why uh why do you choose to not do trail cameras
2: uh for a lot of the reason you just said i think it's a false sense of accomplishment when you get a big deer on camera (laughs) Um, i can't tell you how many people i know that uh, like will be sitting there talking about and it's like they want to pat on the back because they got a big deer on camera it's like i mean and that's fine if somebody wants to do that if they get enjoyment out of that that's great but a lot of people get pictures big deer a lot of people get pictures of deer period and then don't ever kill one um i want to use here's what here's the reason i want to use trail cameras specifically cell cameras is for early season so we are big woods like no crops around here killing an early season buck is a difficult thing to do They're not moving a whole lot. Most of their movements at night because it's so stinking hot early season here. Um, But I want to use cell cameras and I need about 20 of them to do what I want to do effectively because I don't want to be just sitting there wasting my time in early season. I want to have a bunch of cameras out in these spots that I know are bucks core areas and hunt 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 specific deer in those core areas based on what those cell cams are telling me. Now there's a lot of like the, the purist in me doesn't like that idea, but I think it's about the only way to kill a, a big deer consistently in the big woods in the South. Yeah. Um, I just don't think there's a whole lot of other ways to do it. Uh, everything else is basically just a guess. Like you're saying because it's big woods, you said you were from Wisconsin and y'all had big woods, you know, a lot of big woods deer are not patternable all the time. And so they, they might use one bed one day and then they won't be back to that bedding area for, it might be a week before they use it again. And so if you're not using some type of cell camera, you can set up in spots that, you know, deer like to bed in, but if you don't know he's there or at least have a good chance that he's there, you're wasting your time a lot. So that's the reason I want to use, uh, cameras specifically cell cameras. Um, but I don't use trail cameras because I'm, I can get obsessive about things. And if I've got a big deer on camera, um, at night, you know, I might make decisions based on knowing that that deer was there at one o'clock in the morning, rather than go into the areas that, um, my gut tells me is a good idea for the conditions for that day. I'd make my decisions. It's the same thing. Same reason. I don't use a fish finder while I'm fishing. Yep. Um, because if I'm looking at a fish finder all day and I'm seeing an eight pounder underneath me, I'm going to fish that spot all day long and maybe not catch him, probably not catch him. Otherwise I, if I don't have it, I don't even know his, he's there and I'm just going to fish how I know how to fish and I'm going to catch fish. You know, that's it's kind of the same reasoning. I want to be obsessive about it. Um, and then, like I said, you know, there's the, there's the purest side of me that really likes the, the surprise. And I like to go into a spot, not knowing if there's a buck there, go and find the sign set up and kill a buck that I didn't know existed until that day, but I set up in the right spot. I like that. That's probably one of my favorite things about hunting is figuring it out without any history.
1: That's cool. I mean, I, I, I definitely see where you're coming from with the false sense of security you get a buck on camera even if you get him like 4 or 5 days in a row you think like dude I got him dead to rights and then you never have an encounter with him and then you almost get discouraged like dude what did I do wrong why the the whole trail camera concept is great and I like the history behind it like being able to see the same deer you know you might get him in velvet or when he's just right after he dropped and then you get him again hard horned in the fall I like to be able to track that way, but there's definitely been times where I've gone and done card pulls and been very discouraged because I'm like, dude, I don't have any big bucks on camera now. Like, is it even worth coming out here? And then I might sit in the stand and I see a big buck cross the bean field 300 yards away. I think it's right in front of my camera. Go and pull the card and it didn't get a picture of it. And I'm like, light bulb goes off. Hey, just because they're not on camera doesn't mean they're here. Or just because they are on camera doesn't mean you're going to get a shot at them, and so I I totally get that. If you can play, if you can play your gut, if you can play like the skills that you've acquired instead of relying on the technology to do a lot of it for you, I could see where you'd feel a lot more accomplished with that.
2: A good example is this year, and you're totally right. Um, this year, there's a spot that I have hunted. This little, it's like a forty acre piece of public land that's like next to a bunch of people's vacation homes and the only way you can get there is by the water in a little bitty cove you go past all these like boat houses and docks and stuff and pull up in this little cove and um i've always found sign there but i've never hunted it like during the rut i've only ever hunted it in october and november and uh this year, something, I can't remember what exactly the reason was, but something went wrong and I didn't get, I ended up not going to the spot that I wanted to. And it was during the rut is December the 1st, actually. And I ended up going into this spot. And to this point, I'd hunted it like six years, never seen a deer there, seen lots of tracks, lots of sign, but never seen a deer in there. And I've hunted it 10 times probably. Um I go in there December 1st, my first time this year. It's finally the rut. I kill a good buck that day. I was like, well, crap, this is cool. You know? Yeah. I've never even seen a deer in here. I killed a buck today. That's awesome. And uh so fast forward to uh I killed another buck in the, the next week. And so the very next time I went hunting, I uh I had man, I was like perfect wind, perfect conditions. It was going to be excellent for the spot that I've been waiting to hunt all year where I knew there was going to be a big deer at. It was a little far in the kayak. So I needed my trolling motor. Well, I get halfway there and realize I left my battery at home for my trolling motor. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This is like the best phase of the rut. And I freaking left my trolling motor. Dag it. Well, I'm not going to go into any other spot. I'm just going to go burn another sit. I shot a buck here. The first buck here you know, a couple of weeks ago. I'll just go sit here and see if anything's come through. Go in there and shoot my third buck that day. Jeez. Um and so that to me proves like if you're not hunting it on the like if I had a trail camera there set out from October through midnight through Thanksgiving, let's say, just statistically I wouldn't have a lot of deer on it. I'd have no reason to go and hunt it in December. Yep. Um, because I've hunted it a lot in the early season and never seen a thing. So that could have easily having a camera set up in there would have easily convinced me that that spot was not worth my time. Whereas not having a camera there, I still didn't have a lot of confidence, but I didn't know, you know, I didn't have any knowledge other than there's always a lot of tracks here. At some point there's gotta be deer around, like there's deer somewhere around. But I think a camera would have, would have messed with my, my confidence to the point where I probably wouldn't even have gone. I would have made another decision and it ended up being great for me and that, like, you just never know. It's everything changes so much in the big woods. Like there's not a, there's not consistent crops, you know, with corn and beans, you have some consistent things. They they have a, a, a destination food source there all the time. Once the white oaks run out, once the red oaks run out, once the browse dies off out here, like they shift a lot, yeah, a bunch, and so you can't make big, huge decisions about a place without seeing it during that time that you're gonna hunt it. Does that make sense?
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love that where where you know you just went in and you you had hunted it 10 times hadn't seen a deer and then all of a sudden in one year you get your first and your third buck out of that uh there's something there's always like the mystery aspect to deer hunting you know like any buck could come under any tree at a given point and that's one of the things that i i okay so i i'm totally in love with checking trail cameras i love i love seeing all the different stuff between coyotes and bobcats to to ducks and geese or turkey deer, you name it. I love that side of it. But also, I go back to Wisconsin every year. I don't have a single trail camera up up there. And that side of it, it's like, I know where the deer are. I've hunted it. My first year hunting was in the same 40-acre chunk of woods. And I still go back and sit pretty close to the same spot every time. But the mystery side of it, not knowing what you're going to see. Like, dude, Mm -hmm. there might be a freak 180 inch deer that randomly comes through because that part of the country is known for them. Odds are it's not going to happen, but I just have no idea what to expect when I go and sit every single fall. And that side of it with public land, water access, knowing that there's not a ton of pressure, you're going to get to see deer in their natural environment, not really spooked by you. Um, yeah, It's intriguing, man. It definitely is. I I want to say, like, man, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to try it this year. But I know I'm going to get close and be like, dude, I, get, I got that big buck on trail camera again. I got to go try to shoot him. But uh, I'm going to say this. I'm going to try it at least once this year. You should. It's because, fun.
2: It, it's, it, there's nothing like it.
1: Yeah. we it really and, and we've talked about it. Like me, I've got several friends that are like, dude, just the adventure side of that seems really cool. But also... I finally need to buckle or cave in and get a a saddle system because I tried the the climber one time, and I said I will never do that again. I did a a climber on public two years ago now, and I thought I was going to die. I almost lost the whole bottom of it. My feet (laughs) came out of those stirrup deals, and it started to slide down, and luckily I got a hold of it. But the saddle system has been very intriguing to me And I feel like for what you're talking about, you kind of have to go that route. Is that what you're using?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I've been using a saddle for a while and uh, I really, really like it. I don't have any reason to to change it. We just did. So on the Southern Ground podcast, we just recorded a gear podcast last night and gear just makes my stomach hurt. I don't really like changing a bunch. If I find something that, that I like that works, like I'm probably not going to change it. And when it wears out, I'm probably gonna buy another one just like it, you know?
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and so I'm not like this big gear junkie or anything. And a lot of people right now are going like, oh, well, saddle's just another tool in the tool belt. Uh, you can use, you, use a climber too. And, a lock on too. And whatever you, you, every situation calls for a different method. I'm like, oh man, for me, I just stick to the saddle. I, I can't, it's super comfortable for me. I like it. I like filming out of it. I like shooting out of it. Um, it's lightweight. It's easy to carry. It's not bulky and pretty much nothing I carry is bulky. Um, it's great, man. I love it. And, and you can, like what I just was talking about in season scouting and going in and setting up in the spot, you know, scouting the fresh sign, setting up in that spot. It's hard to do that with a climber because that spot might just have, you know, a couple of goofy, tough to get into trees. It's yeah. not a climber tree. You have to have a certain type of tree for a climber. And with the saddle, it just it gives me the confidence knowing like, okay, I can walk in there and if there is a tree that will support my weight, I can climb it. Yep. You know what I mean? And if not, if if I can't find anything and I have to hunt on the ground, I don't have this big giant climber sitting next to me while I'm hunting on the ground. You know what I mean? Like I just got my backpack and I'll hide it and sit on the ground. Um, and I don't feel like I, like you carry a climber in man and you're like, that's 30 pounds, you know, 25. I mean, what on the light end? They're like, what? 12 pounds.
1: Yeah. I think I, the lightest one that I've seen, like the system that you'd have to actually carry in to successfully get in the tree is probably 12 to 15 pounds. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I'm like, dude, I, I do bring a lot of gear. I mean, I I've got the camera arm and everything. I've got my bow. I've got typically my binos depending on where I'm hunting, you know. The gear changes quite a bit, but I would love to get to that point where it's like I have the same pack, the same gear no matter where I go. The only thing that changes might be my layering system for right. the weather and everything else stays the same. I like the minimalist idea of that and not saying, "Hey, I've got to change all of these things up just to have a successful hunt today
2: dude if i was trying to to be a, a person that used a climber and then used a lock on and they use a saddle and whatever my stuff would be so like every hunt would suck because i'd be having to relearn the the system you know of how i got things packed in my bag because that that matters you know yep um but yeah i i think for mobile hunting uh a saddle is a a dang good choice when i was using a kayak i was actually started when i started kayak hunting i was using a climber and uh greg godfrey from tethered this was before he started tethered and he was just doing g2 outdoors um talking saddle diy stuff he hit me up and he was like dude you need to get rid of that climber and use a saddle like you got to use a saddle and uh, man in the kayak especially the amount of space that that climber was taken up like awkward space was insane. So if you're trying to use a, a kayak, like, man, I just don't recommend a climber. <laughs> I would not, I don't really recommend a tree stand, honestly, like yeah. find something that can pack away tight um, because you need all the space you can get in a little boat like that.
1: Yeah. when, What kind of, what kind of kayak do you have? I mean, I'm assuming it's a sit on top. it like 12 foot.
2: Yeah. So I use the uh, new canoe. It's the unlimited, which is the newer one that they had a lot, a lot of their design of it was for hunting. Like they were intentionally trying to design something that would um, be good for a lot of people duck hunt out of new canoe. Yeah. Um, I started with the frontier 12. They're both 12 footers. I think, the Illuminate is a hair longer. It might be six inches longer or something. Um, but they're, they're both like a, one of them's like 600 and the other one's like 700 pound weight capacity. So you have yeah. all the, all the, um, stability that you would ever need. And, uh, like I've, I've in Kentucky a couple of years ago, I killed a buck that was probably 230 pounds. And I had him, me, my bow, all my camera gear, all my climbing gear saddle stuff and a 30 pound outboard motor on the back. Um, and I mean, it handled it like a champ. It was great. Mm -hmm. And and that's like top of the line for hunting kayaks. I got it because I knew I used it more than the average person is going to use a kayak for hunting. And that was my, my initial initial purchase of it. That was, that was the whole reason why most people are going to be looking for something cheap because they want to access one spot that they found. Like you said, like duck hunting or something They're like, Oh, that looks like a good spot. They're not going to go all out for a hunting kayak. And so, um, there's a lot of good choices out there in that regard. I will say that new canoe is like the best fishing kayak I've ever owned too. So it kind of pulled double duty for me.
1: Yeah. I'm uh, going to have to check that out. Cause we, I mean, we do a ton of floating. We're, we're on the river at all throughout the summer um we'll do some fishing a lot of times we'll like float from cliff to cliff and do some cliff jumping and stuff but we go down to arkansas we hit a lot of the southern missouri rivers mm-hmm. and uh, i've seen a lot of people that do like the duck and goose hunting where they'll just cruise down the river basically jump shoot birds or they'll catch them flying flying yeah. overhead and i'm like man that'd be a lot of fun too why don't we why don't we join our passions for hunting and and floating and actually make something happen and a couple buddies did this year for waterfowl but like i said we've been talking about it for years with with deer hunting and i think we just finally need to try it Uh, a couple of the spots that we've looked at doing it especially that one with the duck hole i mean you'd have to get up super early you're talking a couple hour canoe ride to get back in there Mm -hmm. um or a lot of the guys have john boats and stuff and we can get fairly close with a john boat and then finish the rest off with a canoe or kayak that we pull behind, but i I've done kayaking and canoeing. I do like how much stuff you can get in a canoe, but if those kayaks hold six to seven hundred pounds, like that's basically what my canoe is rated for so
2: yeah they're they're kind of a hybrid kayak canoe um it's like a open deck kayak <laughs> but it's, it's like a canoe. If you looked at it, like from the top down, you would think, Oh, that's a canoe, but it's not as deep as a canoe. So it sits on top, you know, it's super comfortable chair, really nice chair. You can ride them tandem if you want to. It's got the gear, the track system on it. So you can put two or three seats, however many seats you want on there. And most of what they do is they, they sell it as a blank slate and then they sell a bunch of different attachments that go on to those gear tracks. And so like I have a, a bow holder. It's really a like a shotgun mount that you would see on a uh like you know the window mounts they used to have or like yeah. a four-wheeler. It's basically a four-wheeler gun holder. Okay. Uh and I'll put my bow on there. I put my gun on it. Um, they have like some storage pods that fit, you know, within it that you can buy. So you can have a dry space. They've got um different styles of seats. They have, if you're big into fishing, they have like these, uh, um, dashes that you can put on the gear tracks. So like place to put your tackle boxes and all that, they got all kinds of stuff that you can add to it. Um, but that was kind of the thing for me is a kayak is obviously better for a solo person. So if you're by yourself, a kayak is going to get you where you need to go a lot quicker. A canoe is going to be more practical for carrying things and it's going to be great. If you have two or three, two or three people in it, you can move that thing really fast, but the new canoe, it's like kind of the best of both worlds. You can put one guy in there and he can still paddle it fairly quickly. If he wants to, I put a motor on mine. I use a trolling motor with mine and then I have a, uh, two and a half horsepower outboard that I can put on it too. That'll freaking scoot it. And, uh, I don't use it nearly as much anymore cause I bought a, a real boat now. So the spots that I need to go there a little further, um, I have an actual, like a duck boat that I use for it. So, um, that's going to be great. That's a, that's a new piece of, of gear for me. This for this upcoming season is having an actual boat and I'm not limited to, you know, two miles and in, I can go as far as I need to go.
1: Yeah, that's, man you're you're definitely getting me pumped up to try this because i'm like just thinking of all the different places that that we go duck hunting or that we go floating and i'm like man i could get access i know there's public land that just follows that river for a long way and i doubt a lot of people are back there but the amount of animals that we see also when we're floating the rivers yeah i'm like dude they're just everywhere and they don't seem to really care we've floated by does and and turkey like in a field And they just see us floating on the water and they stand there and watch us. And I'm like, there's something about the water that I don't know if it's a calming effect or they just don't assume that we can get to them very fast. And they just don't seem to get as spooked by it.
2: That's a that is a that's a, a real thing. They don't associate the danger. They don't associate danger coming from that area. So in a lot of ways, a lot of people, when I when I talk on a podcast or whatever, this is the thing that they they think is maybe a lot of times the coolest aspect about water access is that it's really a good ambush because, I mean, you've got fishermen who are coming and fishing these sloughs every day during the summer, October, November. I mean, year long, you got fishermen in and out, you got people skiing on lakes. Um, There's just a lot of human activity that comes from the water and it almost never presents danger to these animals. And so I've had deer, dude, I've had, a boat set up or parked on a, on a beach or whatever in some mud. And I've had deer walk right by it. Like they don't even care. I had turkeys one day. Um, while we were turkey hunting, we pull up, walk, you know, 200 yards into the woods and they start gobbling and they're standing right by the boat, (laughs) like (laughs) right next to it. And it was like, that just proves everything like they they don't see that and say you know danger they yeah. see it and say it's just what happens on the water you know we're used to that um, The other advantage that people really like is morning hunting. when you if you look really deep into things, you've got thermals um, and if anybody knows about thermals, they know that it's important that your thermals are not going towards where deer are at. So when you're coming from the water early in the morning, in the dark, your thermals are all pulling to that water. So you're not, as soon as you get there, your scent isn't instantly blowing up into the hills. You know, it's not floating through thermals up into the hills or down the, the Creek where that uh, deer might be at. You're always coming in from a pretty low elevation. And so your thermals are really coming back to you most of the time yeah. um, because wind, most of the time in the dark, Wind is not going to overpower thermals, so thermals is going to be the, the main way that deer are smelling stuff most of the time.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, the the lake kind of creates almost a vacuum. Yeah, all the thermals getting pulled down. It can too. be
2: really bad during the middle of the day, though. That is that is oh, a yeah. a con that you have to you have to figure that out. So, like for me, if I don't hunt a lot of evenings, first off because it's just not as good down here as the mornings are, but If I do come in the evenings, I'm going to try to figure out a way to get up high, up off the water as fast as I possibly can so that my thermals are pulling back down um, or in my favor. But a lot of times you also have in the middle of the day, you have wind that will overpower thermals. And so, you know, I look at all that stuff. If I'm going to go into a spot, I would prefer in the afternoon, I would prefer my wind to be in my favor as I access probably more. I probably would rather my wind be in my favor during access than I would it being perfect for the spot that I'm setting up at.
1: Yeah. That, I mean, that makes, that makes a lot of sense in playing, playing the thermals and then yeah, to, to have it be in your favor during access means that when the deer get out of their beds or when they're finishing up their travel routes for the night, like you should be good as long as you don't blow them out on the way in. Um, man, I'm just thinking like, as you talk, I'm thinking about all of these different places that I would have a ton of fun accessing both here in Missouri and back in Wisconsin. Like I said, all along the Mississippi river, man, just thousands be of pictures, Lake Michigan, a- even like my cousin, he lives right off of Lake Michigan. I'm like, I can imagine like just cruising up the coast. There's a lot of public land there, but if you accessed it from a boat from town, you might have a 30 minute boat ride, but then you could actually get to the backside of the public land and walk in from the beach to some of the spots that are probably the best. And nobody walks that far because it's farthest from the road.
2: You'd be surprised, man. I think everybody listening to this would be surprised to pull up some kind of mapping or whatever and look at the places that they've grown up fishing and see that there's probably some public land around it. Like, yeah, there it's it's very very common for larger bodies of water or rivers that there's going to be some public land around it that you can access i've i've rarely found a spot like buddies say hey we're going to hunt here if i pull up my mats it's rare that i don't find a spot that's in a reasonable driving distance that doesn't have some type of water access public land it's just really common
1: yeah Um, I'm going to ask one more question before, before I let you go, because this is actually a float hunt is number one on my bucket list. Uh, is there a certain spot that you're like dying to get to that you really want to try this tactic out on?
2: Like a certain, like a
1: certain state, certain certain species.
2: Um, let's see. When I first started, I always thought, man, it'd be really cool to like go up to Alaska or something like that and do a caribou hunt yeah, or, or go like to Oregon, I guess it's Oregon where they got the Roosevelt elk, um, or, you know, somewhere out West and try to find somewhere that has uh Rocky mountain elk or whatever, you know, and try to do some type of like really big game kayak hunt that would be really cool to try to figure it all out and and make it work so you'd obviously have to you would have to quarter your animal up probably with yep. an animal that big you probably have to quarter it up probably have to make multiple trips whatever but that is some that's a picture i haven't seen is an elk on a boat i might I could google it and it might show up but you just don't see that all the time um and i really honestly i don't have a whole lot of desire to hunt elk but I think hunting elk with a kayak would be just kind of cool, you know, Yeah. Uh, and testing theory, testing the, the idea of water access for other game animals. Obviously, it works well in the south for deer and turkeys. I can't see why it wouldn't somewhat work for big game species out west. So there's that. Um, as far as whitetails go, um, there's a couple of coastal places so like islands that are in the gulf or on like the ocean coast that have deer you know you know some places off the coast of georgia florida whatever i think that'd be really cool you yeah. know like do a float hunt on the ocean
1: out that'd to be an awesome. island
2: <laughs> yeah that
1: would be very cool
2: i think that would be neat but i mean other than that like You know, there's states like Missouri, Iowa, Kansas, like big buck states that have significantly bigger deer than we have here and more of them that would be really fun to do it, to do the water access thing, just to see like, even in places like that, where the hunting is just incredible in the Midwest, is there bigger bucks around those places? You know what I mean? Well, and
1: I mean, a, a lot of the Midwestern states, it's all like old family land that people mm-hmm. hunt or, you know, private. And the people that do hunt public land, it's like they go in, they might not go in super far because of how much other pressure there is. Like you go on public land in Wisconsin and you're running into so many people. But if right. you can sneak in from that backside, even if you have to float for a couple miles, that that I feel like you could be very successful opening day of public land or opening day of deer season on public land and so yeah my number one my number one hunt on my bucket list is a fly-in float out moose hunt in alaska that'd be cool and i mean it's it's a whole lot different you know you're not going and getting set up in a tree you're not necessarily looking for tracks along the river but you're just calling and you'll stop set up camp go call for a day see if anything comes in that night or maybe the next morning Get back in the boat float and do it again um i don't know the adventure of that like just being in true wilderness not mm-hmm. seeing another person and then hunting out of a boat all of that sounds like a good time so uh there are there's are... probably practice though
2: yeah, yeah definitely i mean but go out and do it like when i first started there was like i mean and it still happens now in some places i go some places that are just deep and you know, like nobody has been here. Um, there's not a boat ramp in sight. I had to drag my kayak hundred yards through the woods to even get to this body of water and then paddled up a mile down the river. Like people aren't here yeah. ever. Um, and so whenever that happens, it's that's really cool. You get that sense of adventure, you know, even if you don't see anything. But when I first started, every single time I went, when I got back to the truck, got loaded up. I was like, man, that was even if I didn't kill anything or I didn't see anything, I was like that was awesome. Yeah. You know, I just felt like I did something cool. It's kind of like after you work out, after you go to the gym, you have this sense of accomplishment. Yeah. That's how it was for that. And for a lot of hunters, you go out and don't see anything, you don't get that sense of accomplishment. You get the sense more like um I would have probably been better off staying at home and helping out with the kids uh i just wasted my time Uh, hindsight's 2020 in deer hunting right like it's always a waste of time after you didn't see anything (laughs) yeah but when you do this adventure aspect to it it you you don't get that nearly as much like you still feel like i did something cool I did something really cool today yeah that was always fun
1: yeah that's awesome i i love it and i'm definitely gonna have to give it a go this year i've already got a canoe so i can start with that and then you know if i just get absolutely hooked upgrade some gear and and make it happen a different way or we might try it with a couple boats but there's yeah i've got about a dozen places on the top of my head that i can think of that would be fun to try this so um man thanks for hopping on the show thanks for chatting i feel like we're gonna have to have more of these and uh do some follow-ups i'll i'll pick your brain a little bit more right before the hunt and uh and then hopefully we can do some recap from this year and find out how many how many deer you got using this strategy? How many places are you planning on going this year? How many different states?
2: Ooh, that's a good good question. I start out. I'm trying to decide if I'm going to do that August velvet hunt again. Um, that one's tough because it's so hot. But I'll probably do it when it starts getting closer. Once August gets here, I'll be like, I got to go. Um, I'll do that one. I'll do early season Kentucky. I'll do. Alabama. I have a Georgia license um, that I bought late season last year. So I might try to head to Georgia at some point. I always do can uh I always do Florida. My my number one here's my bucket list. Number one bucket list item is to kill a buck in Florida on public land. So I haven't done it yet. I shot at the largest buck I shot at all season last year. I shot at him in Florida of all places and missed twice. Damn. uh so i've got i've got to kill that deer I've not that deer i've got to kill my buck in florida so that's my bucket list illinois is going to be my like big rut hunt um I'm trying to think uh, i actually i may be in like arkansas or missouri at some point too over the holidays my sister lives in northern arkansas right right close to the missouri border so nice. when we do christmas over there uh i'll hunt somewhere around somewhere close
1: see i'm only i mean where i'm at i'm probably 45 minutes from the arkansas border and so not too bad at all yeah Yeah, if you're looking for a new place there's some sweet spots and uh i'll have to go do some scouting and see what i can find as far as deer sign uh but that that one spot that we found duck hunting we've duck hunted there three years now and every year the sign is the same just heavy heavy deer sign rubs and scrapes all over the place and so that's probably going to be one of the first places i try this out at
2: here's an interesting and i know you're trying to wrap up but this is an interesting thing that i've learned about water access hunting is the spots that aren't nearly as fun to water access hunt for deer are the spots that have high duck hunter concentration yeah because you've got a bunch of guys who are hooked on duck hunting that are going to deer hunt when they're not duck hunting and they're already used to going out in their boat in the dark. And so, like, there's really not a barrier for them. And so I find like there's some places up in like way northern Alabama where it's still swampier, and there's a lot of duck hunting that happens. Everybody's got a mud boat or a, a boat with a mud motor. Um, they're not afraid to get out in the water to go deer hunt early in the morning. And so you like you feel like you're going. 3 miles deep. Ain't nobody going back here and you've passed 10 duck boats on the way that are deer hunting. So Dang. I will say that is something to look out for. Try to concentrate around areas that may not have the duck hunting population.
1: Okay. That's that's good to know. Um yeah, this lake, there's definitely duck hunters on it. It's not a really well like it's the lake that you go to to almost guarantee you get a shot at something but you're never even going to limit out up there on the lake. And so a lot of people go an hour farther away, get to real good waterfowl hunting. um, And this lake is so big. I don't know how many square miles it is altogether. And then you have the fingers and coves and creeks and springs that run into it. So maybe that'll be another thing is just cruising around, seeing what kind of sign is out there. You know, if I see a bunch of shotgun shells, I know that Mm -hmm. people have hunted there a bunch in the past. Um,
2: And there's a good chance if they've been duck hunting out there, they've had the similar experience that you have. It's like, man, there's a lot of deer out here.
1: (laughs) See, maybe, maybe that's what I do then is I bring a whole duck hunting setup, set it up in the cove. So everyone thinks there's duck hunters there. And then I just walk back in.
2: It's out of the box, man. Out of the box thinking. Yeah, that's good stuff. Well,
1: Parker, man, I really do appreciate it. Thanks a ton. And yeah, if you're up in this neck of the woods, come, come hang out. We'll, we'll have to go do a hunt together.
2: Yeah. Same here. If you ever have a reason to come to Alabama or down South, it can be fun hunting.
1: Yeah. I'll, I'll wait until like November, late November. Yeah.
2: We get at least 75 degree days then. So be (laughs) good.
1: Uh, before I let you go, where can people find you?
2: Uh yeah, um like you said before, I'm on the Southern Ground Hunting podcast. Me and some buddies do that, and it's on the Sportsman's Nation Podcast or Sportsman's Empire <laughs> network as well. Um and uh YouTube, Southern Ground Hunting, Instagram, Southern Ground Hunting, and Facebook, Southern Ground Hunting. So um I try to post to all of those as much as possible. YouTube in the off season is hard to do, but everything else is pretty active at the moment.
1: Nice, man. Well, yeah, everybody go check it out. If you're interested in seeing his setup or finding out more, uh, go follow him, listen to the podcast, give him a like and a follow. And uh, I'm going to be picking your brain a lot more over the next couple months as I Absolutely. as I hone in. This is going to be one of the hunts I really look forward to this year. It's trying awesome. it. And I feel like I need to try it early so that, I don't do it like last minute and then realize, dude, I should have been doing this the whole time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's probably what's going to happen. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Maybe I'll plan that. And then I can just get in the water if it's hot out. Exactly. Win, win. All right, man. Uh, Now I'm just, now I'm just brainstorming. So uh, until next time, man, have a good one. Good luck this season.
2: Hey, man, I appreciate it. You too.
1: And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. I'm, I'm having a really hard time here, guys. Because every time I have an awesome guest like Parker on, and we chat about new strategies and tactics for chasing after animals, I really, really want to try them. The season is only so long, but I need to start implementing new tactics, especially for public land. That's something I've been interested in for a long time, and saddle hunting, and now to throw in kayak or canoe or boat access into the mix. It sounds amazing, but... I just have to decide what all I want to implement each year or each season when it comes to chasing after whitetails here in Missouri. But you better believe I told Parker I'm going to hold to it. I am going to try the water access thing and I've got a couple spots picked out as you heard on the podcast. So I think it's going to happen this year and I hope I find success because if I find early season success going in on a boat or a can, probably it'll be a boat or a canoe I don't quite have the kayak set up yet for it but if I find success with that you better believe I'm going to try and do it again and fill my second buck tag or get another doe in the freezer either way he's got it figured out I definitely want to go down there and hunt with him sometime I feel like that would be a ton of fun and just to see how honed in he has these special skills so I hope you guys are always trying to learn new things, always being a student of hunting, of whitetail, learning more about them, and this might just be my next stepping stone. So until next time, always choose adventure, and God bless.